Hello and welcome to the Delco Skate Park Coalition podcast. The Delco Skate Park Coalition is a nonprofit organization of skate enthusiasts, parents, and disability rights advocates looking to build adaptive and inclusive skate parks in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Erin Lopez, and we are the podcast that covers all things about skateboarding, skate parks, and not just skate parks, but ADA, accessible, adaptive all wheels, and inclusive skate parks in Delco and beyond. joined by Joseph Palakis, who is known to friends in the skate community as Joey P. Joey P's skateboarding roots started in the 1980s. He currently lives and works in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Joey P, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to share your skate history with us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for your interest. Yeah, absolutely. You've been a skater for a long time. You've done a lot of really cool things through skateboarding. Um, but you're not originally from Delaware County, right? You're No, that's true. Um, I was born in uh, New Hampshire, and I grew up in Massachusetts, South Shore, and uh, Hingham, <laughs> Mass. <laughs> yeah, you got to drop the eyes when you talk about Massachusetts. But um, <laughs> Now, like, how old are you when you get your first skateboard? Uh, I was 12. It was a few weeks before my 13th birthday, so... Um, beginning of eighth grade 12 almost 13 the the funny thing is like I had wanted a skateboard for a long time before I got a skateboard you know like 1985 back to the future comes out there's this huge like swell of of skateboarding yeah Michael J Fox is like on the skateboard in that movie yeah 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 Yeah. doing the hippie jump running across the car and um all all that stuff um so a lot of kids got skateboards around that time but it wasn't until two years later in 1987 when I actually got my first skateboard and I actually had my first skateboard magazine before I ever got my first skateboard which is kind of a, a what magazine cool was thing. it it was the uh, cold boring issue of Transworld skateboarding magazine a lot of the skaters in that magazine I later met like through my travels or became friends with you know years years later which is a trip but my dad was like my parents were reluctant about letting me get my first skateboard you know I think not surprising a lot of parents then were oh big time it was like I think I said to my mom one time like you know I think I want to get a skateboard and she's like well you have to wear a helmet and knee pads and wrist guards and shin guards and 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 I was like I'll forget it we're gonna pad you up yeah (laughs) but then um we took a family trip to California in spring of 1987 and my cousins live in Sacramento and my cousin Nicole gave me this these stickers she's like I got these at my friend's as a skateboard ramp and I remember it was a blockhead sticker and I you know did the research later to f- figure out what it was all about but like that that trip being in San Francisco like having that sticker in my hand it was like well, there's, there's this 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 is really something I want to get into I was always looking at um like inclined planes inclined surfaces like wheelchair ramps or driveways or like wow i wonder if it would be cool to ride a skateboard down that so you're starting to like visualize your own skateboarding before, before i had you even a, skateboard. Have a skateboard yeah for sure for sure i mean i had stood on one before like my neighbors back in the early earlier in the 80s they had like little plastic banana boards that i had like 
you know, just yeah, stepped on those. in their in their driveway, and and um, but then school started, eighth grade started, and because all those kids had gotten skateboards back in the Back to the Future era, like they now had like their secondhand board that they weren't riding anymore. So this kid, um, Casey McKinley, had a used Jeff Phillips that he sold to me for twenty five bucks, and I remember the the Saturday or I got it, it was like. Finally, I got my own skateboard. This is yeah. like the best thing ever. And it's so cool that it was a Jeff Phillips board, too. Like, once I learned who Jeff Phillips was, and like, you know, it's just like, it's kind of rad. So, you get this first board, and um, like a lot of the people that I talk to, they get their first board, they get out there, they start to write it, and something clicks. And, you know, they're. they're oh, like, it was instant. Like, I mean, it didn't, like I said, I was already so jazzed up about skateboarding before I actually had my own board to ride. And then about, so my, I said it was like a, just a few weeks before my 13th birthday, my friends all chipped in and got me the Search for Animal Chin on VHS. So and that was the brand new, like, hot movie at yeah. the time. So, like, this that. is the Bones Brigade. Like, Stacey Peralta starts to think about going from just having still images of yeah, Bones this, Brigade to. This was like their video. Third, third video. <laughs> like, we then went back and got like Future Primitive and the early in the Bones Brigade video show. But Search for Animal Chin was like the current new skate video at that time and like it for one thing it it showcased vert skating like i i saw that and i was like oh my god i want to blast air someday that looks so sick and then but then it also it was super silly like you could tell it was like b movie quality even as like an eighth grader in 1987 but like you could also see them like just being silly and goofing around you know what I mean you could see like Lance Mountain clowning Mike McGill and like it was funny it was almost like yeah that's how people are you know but um and then it also I mean it's right in the title it's the search right what is who is chin what is finding chin like well, you got to go out there and, and and find it you know and that's that's been my whole skateboard experience you know yeah. it's all about you know just checking out new places. That really seems to set the foundation for everything you do later because you do do a lot of traveling in your life and all through skateboarding. Um, you know, that skateboarding is really the drive that takes you to places. And, you know, that's definitely something that I want to, you know, unpack as we're talking today. But, you know, it didn't start until after you had gotten to college. So you you, you travel for sure well, um, to Pittsburgh to go to college, right? Or yeah, were yeah. you traveling before then? And even to dial it back before then, like, there's a great uh, skateboard video where um, – Julian Stranger talks about it like it, it's in Tent City where they go on a trip to Australia but he's like skateboarding is like okay you start by just exploring your driveway and then you explore your neighborhood and then you you know take it a little bit further you you know take it that extra around the next corner and so like even as early as eighth grade you know if it wasn't for being a skater, I never would have taken that first trip on a subway, you know, without adults. Like we we went on a on a skate mission right after eighth grade finished, and we got, it was my first time on on the T, which was the Boston area's transit system. We took the red line to Park Street and skated this place called Metals, and then just went all over the city, like pushing around, hopping on the subway, and and we got to skate Metals that day and Turtles, which are two like iconic skate spots from the Boston area from from the 80s. You know what's what's striking about that time too. I mean that I, I think 
you know, anybody who's, you know, and I don't want to give away our ages here, Joey P. Give them away. I was, <laughs> I was born in 74. It's cool. But at that time, you know, there weren't a lot of places to skate, you know, and I yeah. think that that's something that, you know, maybe people, there was that, younger generation and don't there's know. A big, there's a big dichotomy between what you see in Animal Chin and what you have available to you, you know. So it was like starting with like driveway quarter pipes, you know. My friend John Sargent had a quarter pipe and that's where I learned to drop in and kick turn. And then my dad and I built a quarter pipe in my driveway. And, you know, my friends Brett and Jeremy Snyder, they had like two opposing quarter pipes that formed like a mini ramp in their garage, you know. So it was like that was the kind of stuff we skated in addition to just like pushing around in the streets like bombing hills like learn you know learning to grind curbs and and you know um yeah that's why we would venture into boston because it was more of a urban metropolis like there were ledges to grind on or 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 just different different terrain i mean i just love the feeling of pushing down a, a um a sidewalk in Boston's financial district and the feeling of of the different like tiles or not tiles but like this a different surface of stone on the sidewalk definitely you know? have that in Boston oh yeah I love that you know I love that feeling and I think that's why I love skating bowls and pools like that feeling of you know hitting tiles so so you start kind of that that beginning of, of traveling, going places when, you know, you're still living in Boston, you're in high school. Um, you you don't go to college in Boston. You go to you go to college in Pittsburgh. Yep. And um, so did you take your skating with you when you went to big Pittsburgh? Time. Yeah. Big time. And I think um, timing is everything. Because, like, okay, in, like, 89, 90, 91, when I was still in high school – we didn't have access to vert ramps, but we would we would travel as much as needed. Like so, we went down to skate um, Fred Smith's Park, the skate hut in Providence, Rhode Island, or or it was about an hour commute to get to ZT Maximus, which was like in in um, Cambridge, you know, over the river from Boston. So we we would we would take road trips to places like that, or even we went up to like Rats in Biddeford, Maine. Um, but then, okay, so I, my friend Brett, who I mentioned, he went to Carnegie Mellon, and he was a year ahead of me, and I went to visit him, and right from the airport, um, our friend Alan John picked me up, and they took me right to DJ's Skate Park, which had like a spine ramp. Is this and in Pittsburgh? Th- this is in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And this was like when I was still in high school, but I went to visit, and like I had such a good time going to visit. The, I was like, this is sick. Like right off the plane, <laughs> we're skating this spine ramp. I'm going, yeah, Pittsburgh could be cool. I might go Pittsburgh to school here. Pittsburgh is a great city. Yeah. yeah. And I, listen, I've grown to love it. But when I got to Pittsburgh in fall of 92, I was it like, again, the timing was just awful. Because right at that same time, skateboarding was going through a weird, real weird thing. Like that's when wheels started to get real small and pants started to get real big, and and DJs what <laughs> the went, pictures tell the story. Yeah, from DJs that, time. that, yeah. that park with the spine ramp went away before the end of my freshman year, and so like, you know, we, when I you say it went away, that kind of reflects a lot of what was happening in the country. So was it yeah, torn yeah, yeah. down? I don't even know. I think well, like private indoor skate parks, it's it's hard to stay in business. You know what I mean? Like. Um, it's it's hard, especially because skateboarding at that time wasn't as like well respected as say like 
you know, parents all the time, they'll drop money on like gymnastics or ballet or something that's more respected. But my mom never, ever drove me to a skate park that I can ever remember. Like it wasn't until we started to become like a little more independent and we were allowed to like drive with an older friend or like I said, get on the subway. She didn't come to a skate park until I think she came and saw me skate at FDR in like 2005 or something like that. And which was so cool not to jump all around, but like my entire life she was always like joseph when are you gonna grow out of this skateboarding <laughs> like what and you know always was like when are you gonna grow out of this when are you gonna grow out of this and then that time she came to the park and saw me skate she's like well you really it really looks like you know what you're doing out there <laughs> I and i was that. like that I was like oh uh, yeah it warms my heart yeah thanks mom but you you bring up a really good point in that you know that it wasn't something that was encouraged in 1992 it wasn't something that you know no not in 87 not in 92 not not you know the the 90s were hard and the 80s were hard you know it was not um i was watching this documentary with like even like a skater like rodney mullen who was like saying that his dad was not supportive of the skating that he was doing even taking it back like that's why i love skateboarding because okay i i think back to like even before I got my first skateboarding skateboard and I was into like art and like painting and, 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 um, some of that more just creative stuff. So like when I got into skateboarding and started reading the skateboard magazine, it was like, it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear. Uh, Like, Oh, nobody likes you. That's why we like you. You're one of us. Like in that aspect of skateboarding is what, that's part of what drew me in and made it. um, There was an element of that, um, you know, that I remember growing up and skating that you, you might be different somebody somewhere else, but when you come to the skate community, it's okay to be different. It's, it's fine. And there's this acceptance that, you know, you don't really get that in a whole lot of other, especially in the time that we're talking about too, in the late eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Is that kind of reflecting what, what you went through? I think, um, yeah, I think it, it, you, you could be a weirdo and it was celebrated. You know, <laughs> you could be artsy and it was celebrated. And and skateboarding, for whatever reason, has always drawn really creative types. Yeah. You know, which which I love about skateboarding. Um, and yeah, that's not always as well accepted in other aspects of society. I think today looks, you know, it's it's really different. But you know, again, back at if you if you kind of go back into that time that wasn't something that was really talked about a lot is you know skateboarding creativity the crossroads between um, being an artist and being involved in skating and it was definitely something that you did with some degree of risk sure yeah yeah risk both socially and you know not having great places to skate either so so when you're in in pittsburgh um you find places to skate but there's not a lot of community there um well kind of the opposite like we 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 were just skating the streets um and that's that's all that was the focus in a lot of the magazines that was a focus um for all the skaters i met and i was like what's up like doesn't anybody want to skate ramps anymore aren't there any ramps and 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 um yeah what was what was happening with that at that time with ramps and i think there was a i think there was a conscious sort of oomph in the industry I think they realized that 
you know, vert ramps aren't accessible to everyone. So we want to sort of promote the kind of skateboarding that anybody can do right outside their door, which is, you know, there's validity to that. Like, you know what I mean? That's one of the coolest things about skateboarding. You can just like go right outside your door and hop on your skateboard. But, but, you know, it shouldn't be at the expense of having some, you know, really fun terrain to skate as well. Like, I mean, I love skate parks and, 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 you know, bigger deeper skateboard terrain and, and, and was there anything terrain. like that in pittsburgh in 1993 were no. there any okay there was a little uh indoor park called shady skates and the biggest thing in there was like a you know maybe like a four foot mini ramp um but there was um it was mostly just like you know pressure pressure flips and no slides and no slide crooked grind that whole like uh, uh early 90s thing when you um, come home that, that first semester after college, like your parents have moved from Boston. Yeah, so that so was now... a trip too. So like grew up in Massachusetts, graduated from Hingham High in 92. My parents moved to PA in like January of 93. So when I came home for that first summer, it wasn't home to Massachusetts. It was moving with my parents and my aunt in Berwyn, PA. And that was that that just compounded the fact that like okay biggest skateboard wheels you can get are like 49 millimeters yeah like you make up for that lack of size in your by wearing pants that are 10 sizes too big (laughs) and and um i was still skating you know what i mean i was still um i would find out whatever kind of skate spots there were around um on the main line i would just skate like parking lots you know there was a a place called the o where a lot of people would skate this curb um i mean it's it's mind-boggling now that it's like you get in the car to go skate a curb but but same thing it would like skate behind gateway shopping center and everywhere i went um i would always ask people like what you know is there anything else to skate like are there any ramps or pools or what have you and i happened to be skating with this kid um, skating the curbs behind Gateway Shopping Center, and he's like, "Oh, there is the Dust Bowl," and I was like, "Bowl? What is this? What like?" And he's like, "It's not. It's right near here." I was like, "Let's go!" And we got in my car, and he took me there. And as you know, the Dust Bowl is this ditch that's been skated for a long time. And at the time in '93, this is the place where Chris Byrne and in, in one of our podcast yeah. interviews, he, he travels all the way out there, and the police yeah, and, and he doesn't and even get to skate it. And, the cool thing about the kid who brought me there it was like yeah he's like he's like this is a well-known spot like back in the 80s like Nodis coppice and eric dressen and all the like california pros that were visiting they would they went to the dust they bowl. went to the dust bowl. yeah yeah wow. and and there was a lot of like skater made add-ons you know there was like parking block at the top and like you know there must have been um fence post coping you know and like just there was sheets of plywood so that you could get like even more you could start even higher and get more speed for the ditch so that was at a time when i was like just depressed you know missing my friends from high school missing all the skate spots that we had up in in new england and then like just not being able to find anywhere to skate or really people to skate with like the dust bowl was like that was a turning point for sure i was stoked like there's not a lot of ramps out there you can't get the wheels that you want skateboarding we know kind of nationally sort of 
you know, takes a downward turn in, in terms of just even being an industry. Sure, and sure. And you find the dust bowl. Yeah. And it's it kind of changes things for you. Oh, yeah, it was just, I was psyched to have some place escape. Yeah. But it started to turn around uh, in 94. Uh, that summer, I, I stayed in Pittsburgh and got, you know, rented my first apartment. And I started to see in Thrasher, like, okay, there's not ramps and bowls here in the United States, but there was an article where, like, you know, Jake Phelps and Julian Stranger and John Cardiel went to Brazil, and they discovered this guy named Bob Burnquist, and they had pictures of the Rio Soul Bowl, and I was like, whoa, there Wasn't are bowls. Bob like, Burnquist from the U.S.? He's from Brazil. Okay, okay. He's from Brazil. They discovered him there on that trip so to speak like he was just some you know little young dude just ripping and they're like this guy he's got it you know but but and and that's an interesting thing about like the the path that skateboarding has taken like okay ramps were pretty much hard to find or, or very few and far between in the states and concrete parks were virtually non-existent in the states but the there were concrete parks in places like brazil and australia and 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 um germany and Mm -hmm. and switzerland so like you saw that more and more as we got as we transitioned from like the early 90s to the late 90s all the a lot of the vert pros were people from other countries you know that's when rune glyphberg came on the scene and bob burnquist who i mentioned and and all these folks who actually did grow up with yeah killer killer concrete skate parks do you think that having those concrete parks really impacted how they could skate oh hell yeah for sure and that's what listen getting back to what this podcast is all about that's why we're doing the advocacy we're doing because like i feel like you know the little kids they need concrete skate parks because they can you know they're they have the fire they love it they're gonna rip and like their only limitation is terrain, you know? And, and obviously there's some concrete skate parks around, but it's like, I think of what a, what a deal it is just getting my kids to their activities that are like five, 10 minutes from my house. Like you're not gonna get the same amount of practice if you have to drive an hour or more. 40 minutes. Every, every time you go, go skate. And, and, and even driving an hour or more, like, you look at the terrain they have in other places or the terrain that people like Rune or Bob grew up on, they had bowls, like 10 mm-hmm. feet, 12 feet deep concrete bowls. Like that's what helped them get as good as they are. Let's, um, let's kind of talk about that because, you know, just for yourself as a skater, you accomplished a lot. You know, you, you have on, like, worked very hard. Yeah, not to, not to say the <laughs> obvious, but, you know, it is, it's – it's something that you spent a ton of time on and like even how you've said like if you're going to skate vert you got to be dedicated to it you've got to do it all the time um and you get to that point how do you get from oh, you know yeah, there's but, a there's a lot that happens yeah, yeah. with you the following summer 1995 was like a major turning point for me for one thing i got to ride my first concrete park and it was my first like full-on overnight road trip and did you research these parks ahead of time were you thinking about okay where am i gonna go i think it was all word of mouth you know um probably from from one of the magazines um some of the skaters that i was hanging out with knew about this 
park called Dodge Skate Park in Columbus. It, it was built in 1990, so this was 1995. Yeah, we took a, a, a road trip, blasting Dinosaur Jr. and Sebado the whole way, and, and got to skate this concrete park. Also happening at the same time that summer was there was like an 80s relic vert ramp in this guy's yard, Brian Rock, and it was just north of Pittsburgh in Butler. And a bunch of the guys who had been who had gotten good at skating vert in their teenage years from like Gettysburg, like my friend Jason Wagner, the sniffer from Gettysburg, and Sebastian Nichols, from who grew up in Cambridge, so he was close to ZT Maximus and, and went to the skate hut a lot, like, and and guys from Harrisburg, like Dave Lambert, and, and then even the Pittsburgh vert skaters who were older, like Mike Zigarovich and, and Brian Rock, who had the ramp in his yard, we all started pitched in to fix up that ramp. And, you know, Tell just, me a little bit about this ramp. Like how how is it constructed? What the, a, what are the dimensions yeah, on it? Yeah, wooden backyard ramp. It's like ten feet tall. I think it had like nine foot transitions with a foot of vert. So it was like, you know, I don't know if all of our listeners know what vert actually is, but vert Tell is us. short for vertical. So like, that's when you know a skateboarding surface. It doesn't just transition up, but it transitions up to the point where you're riding straight up and down. And and if you think about the wheelbase of a skateboard is right around uh, uh, four, you know 13 to 15 inches. So like you want like a foot of vert or more for that trajectory to send you up in the air. And that was like so I you know I'd seen Animal Chain, I'd been reading the magazines and seen all these photos and videos of people skating vert but that was when i like saw it in person like dudes ripping and and it wasn't just like pros that you see in the magazine it was it was dudes that i went to college with like they were taking the same classes they were living in the same apartments right down the street and it was like oh my god they you know they just did ollie across the whole ramp like what like just mind-blowing and um does part of you start to think like okay had you done anything like that yourself at that yeah, point yeah. yeah yeah like in high school you know by venturing over to zt maximus i'd gotten to the point where like i could drop in and i'd learned to do an axle stall like a rock to fakie like just the bare bones basics but but like you lose it if you don't do it you know so like it was a whole new thing like okay now we can finally skate vert and i just sucked at it like i would slam i still have like the calcium deposit on my hip from just slamming uh, that summer because i was uh, foolishly i thought that i should crank my truck super tight to skate vert and some vert skaters do that to this day like because they don't want to get the like speed wobbles but that was a major obstacle that i discovered that summer like don't crank your truck so tight so that way you can like turn out of a a, a maneuver because i would just yeah i did a lot of fakey ollie to just slam bag of hammers on the flat um so you have like this this almost like this this growth uh for, for your own skating skating this burnt ramp back big there, time. figuring out what you need to be able to to be, skate being, it successfully being able to skate it like two or, or at least once a week you know but more than once a week ideally and also being around like you know role models positive super supportive like that crew i love those guys to this day because they weren't just good at skateboarding but like i you know i've written about sebastian in my zine and and, and uh, about like 
he just made you feel good about yourself to be around him. You know, like he was the kind of guy like he 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 saw you were putting your tail on to drop in. He'd like give you the wave, like come on, you know, like get at, get after it. Love those guys completely. I you know I was in a punk rock band, wrote a song about them. Like that, I love that. That scene was just awesome. And those guys are, to this day, they're just like just some of the most amazing people I've ever met. But they're like the tip of the iceberg. Like when I realized, like, whoa, these guys can skate vert. And later that year, we went down to um, Bruce Martin's ramp in West Virginia. Bruce and Carlos built this ramp called the King Dong Ramp. It was like right near Parkersburg, West Virginia. And we went. We so, went what and are the dimensions it. of the King Dong Ranch? Like, it's uh, like ramp. twelve like, feet it? tall with like an extension, pool coping, but then it also like elbowed around into. It had like a uh, um, it had a round hip and a and a bowl pocket that then hipped into this other like rectangular bowl pocket. So it was like a bowl vert ramp all in one, it, it, and it was like a backyard scene. You know, it was it was just in you know, uh, wild, wonderful West Virginia, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and we went there the first time and just, we were the only guys there. We skated with like one local Bruce was out of town. He was actually in Europe skating the concrete parks that were in existence at that time, like Marseille and, and Alcobendas. But we found out they were having this big skate jam, this big party. That weekend, I made more friends than I've ever made in my life. This and is at I, this ramp this in is, West Virginia. Yeah, in West Virginia, the, the, it was there was an article in Thrasher called "The Backwoods Blowout," and vert skaters like came out of the woodwork from all over, up and down the East Coast, especially some from out west, but mostly like from Florida, North Carolina, South Carolina, Maine, Massachusetts, like you know, PA. And this is nineteen ninety five. This is nineteen ninety five. This is like. Nick, nobody had Facebook back in 1999. No, it was no all word insight. of mouth. Yeah. yeah, it was totally all word of mouth. It was like, we found out about it because Dave Lambert grew up with Carlos, and Carlos was one of the, you know, the architects of this place. And that's how we found out about it. How does that start to kind of change your perception, too, of the community that blowout weekend in West Virginia? I don't know what's the word like enlightening uh, uh liberating like inspiring i think the best word is inspiring because you know all the friends that i made that weekend then you know i would end up going to visit their scene you know finding out oh there's a vert ramp here in 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 charlotte north carolina or or you know there's this park in daytona beach called stone edge there was an indoor park in charleston in like around 1990 called the charleston hangar and the bulls in that park were moved to this guy Hank Baring's property on Johns Island in South Carolina. So then we found out that there was a whole other oh, scene really interesting. and a whole yeah. other skateboard jam that was happening like a month later. And I missed that one that year, but like a lot of the guys in our little vert crew went and went to that jam as well. So 1995 is like a really big year for you. Do you develop um, a zine called Balance and then you start traveling and writing about what you're doing when you're on the road. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because 95, you know, 94 even was when I first started learning about, you know, this thing called the internet, you know. And, and so when in 95, I had already started making websites for the job I had at Pittsburgh Supercomputing Center. And, and I was so inspired by 
you know the the skate scenes I was experiencing I started writing about it like you said and and publishing stuff online under this under this title of balance so um, yeah that was when balance started like 1995 so when you start um, start you know writing and are you like putting these two things together I'm gonna start going places I'm gonna start skating different places meeting different people and meeting people I know, and even the, the skaters that I know, and start to, to write about this, and this is what I'm gonna do now. Um, yeah, yeah, I think um, it it became something that like, well, this is what's really important to me. I, I, I always, um, I had a hard time deciding what I wanted to major in and what I wanted to study in college. Like I was a good student I, because I worked hard. Like nothing ever was easy. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm good at math, so I'm going to study math. It was nothing, no subject was like that for me. But I did well overall because I was just a hard worker. And I, and I think that's what, why skateboarding was so appealing to me because, like, you know, there's a clear connection between effort and reward, right? If you work hard at skateboarding, you can feel the progress. But it also helped me realize, like, okay, what do I want to do as far as a career? I want to be able to travel and skate. That's what's most important. Which I have to say, right, for at the time that you make that decision, there has to be a lot of courage behind that because that wasn't something that, you know, you yeah, go to the dinner I, table and I couldn't sell like, that yeah. to my parents, yeah. yeah, for sure. My friend Seth Friedman, who he's, he's really, well, he talk about networking. He's always been amazing at networking. He got me my first job at a skate shop back in 1991. But then he also got me connected with what would be my first job in Boston as a software developer, which was this little, you know, dot-com startup. It was like 11 people worked there when I first started. And they were like, they were like, cool, you're going on a cross-country trip? Sounds good. You, you know, you, you're, you're graduating in December? We'll, we'll see you in February. And so for the whole month of January, we left Pittsburgh and drove down south to Daytona Beach to skate Stone Edge and stay at the International House. And then we made our way through um, Louisiana into Colorado and went skateboarding and snowboarding with, with Glenn Charnowski and his wife. And, and then we went to, we skated the Boulder Ramp. That's where I met Mike Burnett, the, the editor of Thrasher. And then we went to um, the big, like one of the big bucket list items for that trip was like, I really wanted to skate Kelly Belmar's pool and Chicken's pool. They were like the first made to skate backyard pools that were like, sort of like 70s skate park style with like you know pool coping and tile and but they were in these guys backyards so you're not going necessarily to places where there's like a skate park like what we think of today no there was some like private indoor skate parks that we went to like we went to evolve skate park skate park in albuquerque and ooh, that's the first skate park that had a doorway oh that's cool yeah yeah, yeah. so tell me how like kind of that it allows like adaptive skaters to skate skate parks if you there's a doorway well i mean if it's accessible to anybody on wheels like a wheelchair can get in and out of the skate park um much easier than let's say going up steps and and going down the ramp you know and if you can just go through the doorway but as a skater it's like one of the funnest sort of obstacles to try to ride over and do tricks over and and since then like many skate parks have incorporated doorways like 
um, there was a bowl in Sattel, Switzerland that had a doorway and then like Orcas Island has a doorway and McMinnville, Oregon has a doorway and Milton, Washington, all these parks have incorporated a doorway into this really big, tall terrain. It's, it's just sick. It's super so fun. So Albuquerque was one of the first. I think so. Yeah. 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 We'll and have to look that up. Someone will know. But yeah. For yeah. Sure. But, but it's the first time you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And after Albuquerque, we went to Southern California and, and that was where I met Rhino and he has been, um, and, and met, met Rhino and Preston, but Rhino took us all around. He was like, Oh, you want to skate? chickens and kelly's like you, i need to take you to some pools and so he took us all around to these backyard pools and and mm-hmm. rhino ends up being somebody you collaborate with later big time yeah. yeah he so and what's funny is like um rhino's pretty well known now he's like the, he works for independent he works for thrasher but at that time he was just starting to dabble in photography and and we became uh pen pals and, and because i when I moved back to Boston, he um, he grew up in Massachusetts, so he would come visit his friends up there, and and um, but also in between, like he'd be sending me photos that he took and writing letters. I'd be writing letters to him, and he knew that I was doing uh, balance. So he started as he got better at photography, he would contribute photos, and they're you know some of the best photos I've published for sure. He's he's amazing. So we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back after this message. Are you interested in helping Delco get a new ADA-accessible all-wheels concrete skate park? Please go to the Delco Skate Park Coalition website at www.skatedelco.org to find out more about current Delco Skate Park projects, events, and how you can help support the Delco Skate Park Coalition's mission. So we are back, and welcome back, Joey P. And we were talking about your travels across the United States. I Thank think you. that yeah, I think that something that um, you know is is part of your history is that when you were traveling, you know, city to city, you're in Daytona, you're in San Diego, but you're meeting people along the way that kind of help you connect with other people. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, when we took our break, it it reminded me like I never would have met Rhino if it hadn't been for Suede. And so Suede was living in Daytona beach at the international house. That's, that's who we went to visit first. But prior to that, he lived in Pittsburgh. He was actually, the guy who I was traveling with, Dave Lambert, Suede was his roommate in Pittsburgh. And we first became friends at going back a little bit to when, you know, skateboarding was kind of in that dark time. But he and I became friends at this party because we, were, we talked about our love of skating round wall, skating bowls. I was like, oh, you like to skate bowls? He's like, yeah. And, and, and so like... So you guys really we, connect on we that. We connect on that because we were like, you know, we were definitely um, anomalies in the skateboard scene. Just like, we love to skate bowls and So other people and, aren't like into that at that time. and that. It, no, it was hardly, it was very limited in the magazines and stuff and limited in, in skate videos and stuff. It was not a, a, a focal point. Um, but he was like, you got to come visit, you got to go to Stone Edge. You got to come visit me in Daytona Beach. And so when he graduated, 
he moved back to Daytona Beach. So when I graduated, Lambert and I, that was we drove straight to Daytona Beach and skated Stone Edge. So that's why and, you went there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. So they had the International House. They had a backyard ramp. And then Stone Edge was right down the street. And Stone Edge had uh, the Mickey Mouse Bowl, the Peanut Bowl, the Egg Bowl, and the Nine Bowl. So four con- concrete bowls plus a vert ramp. It was like heaven on earth. It, How did that know, change your, your skating? Like, you know, for you? Oh, it was just, I mean, it was um, intimidating. Like, the, the peanut was gnarly, and the egg was lumpy, and but but the concrete terrain, terrain was so addictive. And, like, that was, that was one of the only places I've ever been where you could take, like, ten pushes on the deck and then roll in the deep end of a bowl. Like, you're going so fast, and your adrenaline is pumping, and... and and then the people skating there are just showing you what's possible, you know, like Chris Collette and Greg Heiler and Drew Carcos and these people just ripping this part. Kurt Baker, oh my God, meager. Yeah, I have photos of him blasting method airs out of the peanut bowl, which is hard to skate. Um, oh, did we skip right over Skatopia? We did. Wow. All right, so a lot of those guys started to graduate and move away like the guys in that vert scene like sebastian went back to boston and and um suede went back to daytona beach and so our scene was like fragmented and so that was motivation to travel also like one of the trips i first wrote about was we just decided on a whim on a friday night to like go visit wags in north carolina in an era when there was no cell phones like we called and left a message on his house phone but he was out of town for the weekend we got to his house and he wasn't even there but (laughs) that was a funny story remember i said that lambert grew up with carlos and carlos and bruce had that ramp going in in west virginia in 95 but they got evicted from the property and they bought this uh 80 plus acre farm in southeastern ohio and they they started framing this bowl inside of a 100-year-old barn. Or it was like Memorial Day weekend in 96. Again, talking about how everybody's fragmented. George Dragons and I, from the Butler Vert scene, went up to visit Sebastian in Boston. Who else is there but Fernando, who who he's, he's friends with Sebastian and Clive and, and part of that whole Pittsburgh scene, but he was from here in Philly. Anyway, he tells us, He's friends with Carlos, and he's like, they're they're building this bowl out in Ohio, and next weekend there's this big jam. You know, they're they're gonna finish the bowl, so we drive out there June of 1996, and they're putting the second layer on this bowl. It, it's not done, and it became like it was like an Amish barn raising of all these dudes from all over the East Coast pushing screws, cutting plywood cutting oh masonite wow so everybody's to, like okay we're here we're supposed to be doing this yeah we think we're, we're coming for a skate party but it turned out to be a, a work party and bruce became notorious for that like yeah come to the party and then like you get there and you have to well, work surprise yeah but, you're gonna but, pour some concrete today oh it was it was epic though because the, you were like staring at this thing like how am i gonna ride this it was bigger and deeper than anything i had ever skated before so it really but, was going to push your limits getting yeah, in there. Yeah. Oh, sure. Everyone. Like I saw people drop in there and just get knocked out. Like it was it was nuts. But you know, I, I already had that love of skating bowls from like skating easier to skate bowls like Dodge or or the Skate Hut, but this was like another whole another level. So 
get, bear in mind, no vert ramp anymore in Pittsburgh. Brian Rock's dad didn't like us skating in his backyard, and, and, and that scene went away. And um, so George Dra- and George Dragons and I were pretty much two of the only guys remaining in Pittsburgh as, as like our scene sort of fragmented. And so we started driving out to Ohio. It was like four hours each way every weekend and skating that bowl. Um, skating skatopia so before you go on this road trip in 1997 that's that seems like that re- repeated trips out to ohio to skate that bowl is how you really start to develop your skills yes in a bowl. yes and also make connections because like the cool thing about that time in skateboarding is because there were so few little pockets I was meeting people every weekend out at the everyone was coming to the farm from Virginia, from California, from Florida, from New England like So when you're part of it it sounds like you kind of know all the players and yeah. You get to yeah, you yeah. get to meet them. Yeah. You eventually travel internationally though. Like in in 1999 you, you go to Spain. There was this event at FDR on the 4th of July in 1999. Even before but, that yeah. there's there's uh so there was in 96 like i said going to skatopia every weekend there was also the hangar bowl happening and they always had a fourth of july party so we went down to skate the the hangar bowl in charleston and the guys from philly like carlos and fernando they arrived late because they were like we we had we had to have the fourth of july jam at fdr park and that was when i first heard about fdr that first weekend at skatopia they were telling me about FDR. They're like, my, Clive was like, Joey P, there's a wall right up a pillar. You can go as high as you want, you know? Um, and so Father's Day 1996 was my first time going to FDR. FDR is um, an epic place to skate. And you're part of skating at FDR from the very beginning. Yeah, from 96. You know, they must have started it around... Um, I think the city probably put in the the pyramid and the ledge and stuff in maybe late 95 and then it became like a you know a skater built place going into 96 my first time there was June of 96 right around the same time as first time at Skatopia when you um, finish out you know skating at the 4th of July at FDR um, oh yeah so you remember I went and lived in Boston so in 97, we came down for the 4th of July jam, and that was when the vert ramp was first built at FDR. So th- that attracted even more people to the 4th of July jam And you're one FDR. of the first people to skate it. Uh, I don't know if one of the first people. I guess, I mean, it's all relative. Relative, like, yeah. Yeah, like I skated it a lot during the 20th century, whereas a lot of folks didn't arrived there until the 21st century so hard to say that the 20th century right and when they were putting together the book I, I had a real oomph to be like hey make sure you include stuff from the 90s you know because it was a really special place in the 90s and it was you know before all the graffiti the only people down there were skaters um and and so I witnessed the the I mean, it, the, the... It's the, evolved. The, as it's, yeah, evolved, devolve, however you want. It's it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah. And more and more terrain has been built. It's an amazing, amazing place for sure. But you take some time away from the U.S. and skating in the U.S. and you go to Spain. I did. I took a trip to Spain. And and it's funny, like, uh, you 
youth is wasted on the young, you know? Like, I think back to, like, my high school French class and how I didn't, like, you know, I thought it was stupid and didn't... And, and it wasn't until I started realizing there were all these concrete parks all over the world that it was like, man, I really... Should have paid more attention yeah, in French learned class. To, learned to speak French, learned to speak Spanish. And that's one of the coolest things about uh, Preston. He w- he was multilingual. Like, he could just roll in any country and, and interact with people, which was amazing. Clive and Fernando, they lived in Utah for a winter in 97. So even after coming off of that cross-country trip in January of 97, like I said, I chose that career so that I could travel and skate. So April, I was going on another trip to Utah to go snowboarding but also they were like bring your skateboard that was the first time I got to ride full pipes and they were the best full pipes I've ever skated they were amazing they were the space shuttle o-rings and they were like eight foot radius 16 feet tall and there was like a four foot gap between them so you could like ollie from pipe to pipe they were sick there's a picture of you in the full pipe in Utah and the look on your face so you're like really far up you're not you're not quite at the top but you are really really far up and you, you look like you're making your turn 10 o'clock. yeah i was like yeah more like one so, o'clock maybe okay. like in the, if you're like looking at the it. the circle as a as a clock but the look on your face the intense concentration you know oh that, that's the one from kokomo i know what you're talking about yeah 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 Yes, Kokomo, Indiana. That yeah, I, you could tell I was scared in that photo, <laughs> but in a good way, you know. Like that was that's that's that was an exciting park. I'm sure it still is. It's a great photo, and it just it kind of speaks to the challenge. Andrew Clark took that photo. I gotta give props to Andrew Clark because getting back to FDR, he's one of the stewards and the custodians of FDR. Like not just on big poor days, but like. When no one's around, like he's fixing the holes and fixing the cracks, and 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 like, yeah. He sounds like he's really dedicated to oh, keeping it up. Yeah, and... huge props to Andrew Clark for sure. He's he's a rad dude. Later that year, I decided to abandon that career in software development, and and I really wanted to make my zine and my website as like my career. And do is like, this when you like? I'm gonna get in my truck. Yeah. Give away everything. Yeah, sell put all, all my, my stuff. stuff in storage. I just had like a PO box for mail, and I just lived out of my truck with my dog Wasatch, and we just hit the road, and we went um, uh, back down to we went to Pittsburgh first, and spent some time there because I actually had a broken foot from a collision I had at Skater Island, which is this rad park that we could talk for hours about in Rhode Island, but then. Um, Suede got in the truck with me in Florida and we went out west to like Colorado and then so you um, travel with Suede on that trip yeah Suede got in the truck for a while I was on the the road for about six months and Suede was um, he was part of it for at least six weeks more if you count the time that I spent at his his place in Florida before we left being on the road for anyone is really, really hard. And it takes a lot of dedication to stay with it. I mean, there's kind of this constant sense of not having a space to sort of just settle in yeah, like we do every day. Yeah. yeah. How did that sort of affect you being on the road? Because you're, you're committed to it. You're on the road for six months. That's mm-hmm. a long time. It started to feel like, um, I started to feel like a, 
like a leech you know where you're like you really become reliant on your friends and family the people you're crashing with and um at the same time i'm trying to run this internet business which is like you know i use business loosely there but um it was before wi-fi it was before Before laptops right i had a laptop um but you know it was old school uh um they were pretty clunky wicked clunky and the only way, like, I actually had a Earthlink subscription because I knew they had oh, uh, yeah, they had local dial-up numbers in any of the cities I was Modems going to. And, yeah. So whoever I was staying with, like, they would go to sleep. I would plug in the modem, and that's when I could like check email and upload the the zine I'd been working on to the to the website. Um, but yeah, like, I started to realize that I need a nest you know to to make this stuff happen and you know and and it became hard because especially when i was traveling with suede and and brett turner got in the truck with us too and we traveled together like they were on vacation and and they were like come on let's go skate and i was like but uh but i gotta do this zine and i gotta like check my email i'm trying to do this like alpha productions thing and they're like joey we're going to skate pools and and so um so you were trying it's, to balance like the experience of being on the road, getting chances to skate, being being with people who are really important to you, your friends, but mm-hmm. also balancing that there was a purpose in this, that you had a job to do. Right. You're right. And, and I think a lot of people that end up working in the skateboard industry sort of feel that like it becomes um, it becomes their their career, you know, which is rad. Um But I think, yeah, that was what I was grappling with at that time. And I think. Um, it sounds like it really challenged you in ways that you had it like that that trip that six months on the road really challenged you in terms of thinking about what you wanted to do yeah big time yeah and and I didn't figure it out necessarily then you know I just basically ran out of money and <laughs> and ended up back in Pittsburgh because um you know, my wife Amy w- was living there, and um, we had been dating. And you know, God bless her for putting up with me, like being on the road. Like she came to visit me a couple times in, when I was out there, like once in Arizona and once in California. Um, but uh, yeah, ended up back in Pittsburgh. And Dave Lambert came up again. He got me a job um, loading and unloading trucks with like uh, movie equipment, and so. Um, so you have to come back and sort of go from a, a pretty nomadic lifestyle mm-hmm. for six months and then go to having a day job and... Oh, know. but I was resistant. I was still like, now that I was landed, I still wanted to do balance. I still wanted to do my website and do like, I was doing some freelance web website work, like programming and graphic design. And, and so... I was still trying to keep that dream alive of running my own business, but the money wasn't coming in enough to pay the bills. So I also had this, luckily that these guys at Performance Lighting were super cool. They're like, you want to come work for a day? Great. You know, or, or you want to come work all week? Great. You know, they could use the help, but they weren't, they were very flexible so that I could sort of try to keep that thing going. But I probably spent too much time trying to do balance my skateboard zine and not enough time making actual money so then finally um amy moved out she moved back in with her parents so then i'm in pittsburgh and um 
we decided together to move to Philadelphia together. And so at the end of 2000, that's when we moved to Philly. And when you move back to Philly, um, FDR factors back into your life again. Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. And, and that was part of why I ended up back in PA and then ultimately in Philadelphia. So like when, when, when I was out on the road, you know, skating all these places in California and Arizona, riding all these backyard pools and trying to figure out where I'm going to end up, I was like, well, Pittsburgh is right between Skatopia and FDR. So I'll go there. <laughs> and so I did. And so that's why I ended up in Pittsburgh. And then Pittsburgh, which was crazy. Uh, it's a wonder I didn't stay in Pittsburgh because we were building this bowl in Polish Hill. I was there to finish this this bowl that my friend uh, Mike Myers, 37, built off to the back of his house with, with the help of Greg Russo and and Dave the Jeweler and a bunch of guys. So like I, there was a really cool scene developing there but at the same time I was like I'd already gone to college in Pittsburgh and and didn't want felt like I didn't want to live there and and Amy didn't want to live there anymore and so we decided to move to Philadelphia and then when you guys moved to Philadelphia it's not too long before you're back on the road again because you make what you describe as a really um you know, big trip. I mean, it, it seems like it really meant a lot to you. You you go out to the Pacific Northwest in oh, your yeah. next travels. Yeah, and even in between there, I ended up working for um, this marketing company promoting the X Games. And so I went cross-country right, on that trip, Right, because the X Games starts to The develop. X Games came to Philly in 2001, and so there was this big promotional tour. And again, that was that was, again, trying to figure out, like, okay, do I want to have a career that allows me to pay for my own skate trips or do I want to have a job that actually involves skate trips? And I thought that sort of promotional thing was a good blend, but that, that I figured out that wasn't for me. Live so, and learn. Yeah, yeah, it was Live a grand human experience. And then in 2002, um, I, had, I got a job at, uh, working in the publishing department at ETS, the Educational Testing Service, and... It was like it was a decent living, and and but I it was through a temp agency, and so I was like, I'm gonna take two weeks off without pay and go on this skate trip. And they're like, Really? You like you're gonna go two weeks with no paycheck? I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, Oregon without Washington. knowing anything about you. That probably seemed to them like, What is this guy talking about? Nobody, but like, I you know, a, Joey P. That makes perfect sense. It was all yeah, part of the scheme. Yeah, so that was my first time in in the Pacific Northwest because I had always intended to get up to to Burnside and go up to Oregon when I was out west in 99 but it just I just sort of ran out of ran out of funds and realized that like oh, and and winter was coming so like I knew that it was like it's wasn't a different the best, winter yeah, yeah it wasn't the best time to go up there um but you said it had an impact on you and that you wrote about that trip twice yeah, it was an epic trip yeah it just because of all the um serendipitous connections that were made on that trip like like the guys who i became friends with in tucson arizona the dream destroyers just happened to be on a on a road trip to lincoln city oregon and so we just without any kind of 
plan or, or like orchestrated details. We just showed up at the same place at the same time for like 4th of July. So it's just totally coincidental. Totally coincidental. And, and then we had, um, I was traveling with uh, Tex, Adam Young, and Greg Russo, and uh, Fish drove out there. So that was like the core group where we like rented a van, but then all these other guys got in in the van too, like um, um, Bobby Puglio and Rob Erickson, and and um, we ended up just connecting with. It was it was wild because it was kind of like, imagine if like you love playing basketball and then you just go play basketball and like you know all these nba superstars are there playing too you know that was kind of like what that trip was like and it was like the most amazing terrain i'd ever skated it was just um just off the off the hook when you have to come back from this really epic trip in the pacific northwest um it seems like you're kind of starting to go to a different stage in your life like you're starting to think more about you know I mean, you've lived a lot at that point. Like, you have had a lot of adventure. You've, you've traveled a whole bunch. It's all been through skating. You've met so many amazing people that you become really close and connected to. But there's a point when you come back where you're like, okay, what am I going to do when I grow up almost? Well, like, yeah. you have to start to think about things. Yeah, yeah. And Amy's in your life at that point. Yep, and, yep. And, um, and living in Philadelphia at that time, there was and and being at the educational testing service i was learning about like teacher training materials like for the praxis test and and i heard about the um philadelphia needing teachers they needed they would give you emergency certification if you had a bachelor's degree as long as you enrolled in a teacher certification program and like so more and more all these different forces were um, pushing me to get into education so to make a long story short, I became a high school math teacher in Philadelphia. Let me ask you this. Does all of the the networking, the social connections that you make through skateboarding impact how you um, grow into your career as a teacher, how you relate to kids, how you relate to other educators? Like, I think more than anything the resilience you develop from slamming on concrete is probably the most <laughs> the best training. helpful thing for becoming a teacher. But also, like, the cool thing about skateboarding is that um, it is so inclusive. Like, it brought me in contact with people that maybe, that you know, they weren't always well-behaved. They weren't, like, they weren't the same um, they weren't like the Ivy Leaguers I, I was competitive with in high school. You know, the, it was, it, it, you just meet way more types of people with different experiences. And, and that definitely helped as an educator. So it sure. gives you experience with working with just a cross section of people with diverse backgrounds. And, and people who may not like school or not like behaving at school, which is a big part of you know, being a teacher in Philadelphia, especially in any school. So does it help you with those skills about learning how to relate to other people, how to talk to other people, and that resilience you said, like, you know, being able to get back up again when you just, you know, you fell, you hurt, you get back up again, you keep doing it. Yeah. And that seems like that's something that 
prepares you for what you're going to experience because teaching in the Philadelphia School District is a, is a challenging position. And you stay with it. You stay with teaching. Yeah, yeah. I taught um, I, I taught for six years in Philadelphia, and I would probably still uh, uh, be an educator in Philadelphia if it had not been for um, my wife and I had twins. And, and so I got to have the experience of being a stay-at-home dad because, you know, the... The take-home pay as a math teacher in Philadelphia does not cover childcare for twin infants, sadly enough. And my wife um, had become a nurse practitioner, so when she went back to work, her maternity leave ended, my stay-at-home dad uh, uh, stint started. So that is something that you kind of write about, is that transition of becoming a parent and really appreciating the time then that you get to skate because your, your focus totally changes. Now you're a dad, you're a stay-at-home dad, and you write about some of that. Like you do an issue and balance on what it is like to be a dad. Yeah, and the rad dad issue. The rad dad issue. And who's on the cover of that? Uh, Lance Mountain. Yeah. Um, Who was a dad at a very early age, as I recall, right? He was, yeah. yeah. When I first started skating, he was a dad already. And, and, and so he must have been pretty young, you know. Um, um, and in reading about him and learning about him and also knowing other skaters who were dads as as you saw I interviewed in in that issue because I wanted to hear like oh how did they how did they pull this off you know um and it was reassuring for me that they were you know still doing it still skating but also being a good father you know and being a you know that 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 was important to me and still is important to me yeah your perspective also starts to really change in terms of it sounds like you know you get involved in more community things through skating and you still are i don't know if you like fast forward to to where you're at now your focus is really more on giving back to the community through skating so you've done some really cool things in the last few years related to skateboarding well yeah yeah i think um well thank you for saying that i think if, if I could sum up the first, um, I don't know, the, the, the lion's share of my skateboard experience has been traveling and, and helping to build stuff so that I could skate it. You know, like we, we, we dug a bowl in, in Fernando's backyard. It took us like eight years to, to, to do that. And we, and, you know, helped out with, with builds down at FDR and, and, you know, going back to the butler ramp, fixing up the butler ramp or, or you know, building stuff at Skatopia, all that was part of my skateboard experience. But now, I guess, for whatever reason, maybe because of, uh, you know, the stuff I've written about skateboarding, um, for some reason, yeah, I've been kind of like tapped on the shoulder to do other stuff, which is uh, humbling and an honor, like, um, you know, being asked to be the announcer at the first all-girl skate. Uh, a skateboard contest at FDR like that was huge and I was just so so uh, uh, honored to to hype those girls up and just you know um, and so important too I mean it's so for someone like you with your skate history to to do that and to you know promote that inclusivity in skating and, um, you know, when you've talked about it, you were, you say, like, that that was really an honor for you to be able yeah. to do that. You did it in 21 and, and 22. Like I always love, listen, I always loved that girls skateboarded. You know, even back, like, in the late 90s, I had a 
picture of Alyssa Steamer on my wall. There was this killer sequence where she's got like an arm cast on and she's doing like this back lip from like ollieing from ledge to ledge and it was gnarly it was just like that's rad and like i got to skate with jen o'brien on like a warp tour like jody mcdonald like they were from they were stone edge locals but got to skate with them in california like i always thought it was rad when girls skated and and i always wanted them to be part of this this art community and now that they have like it just proved what i always knew was was (laughs) was true in that like you know girls are awesome and they bring so much like the the events that gloria and and lauren and all those and 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 rips those girls that put together the events at fdr like it just shows like they make our scene better You, you know there's a saying like the the you're a product of the the people you surround yourself with in the books that you read right and and i'd say both of those things are very heavily true about skateboarding i've been fortunate to surround myself with positive encouraging people like every skater i've become friends with is someone that's like picking me up when i'm when i need to get picked up but also saying you know heckling me to make that you know when 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 i'm being a wuss like the, and, and that that positive encouraging supportive um people is has been a big part of my skateboard experience and and what you see at skate parks it's like- so the scene and the support is in the county that's that's who delaware county is what's missing is the skate park that deserves that and yeah yeah i mean it's I- kind of like if you look at it you know to use another analogy it's like uh, you know, okay, hey, we yeah, we built a, a, a basketball court. The kids want a basketball court, so we just built it with backboards. You know, it's like, what? That's isn't that good enough? Like, you can throw your ball at the at the square on the backboard. You don't need rims or nets. Like, that's pretty much what the Mary Place is, and that's pretty much what you know the the existing parks in Delaware County, and I would even argue in the southeastern PA. Like, that's that's the level we have and i i just think the kids deserve better again i'm i'm 47 almost 48 like i've i've like you said i've lived a a lot of skateboard adventures and and i can you know i've spent a lot of time traveling and, and and doing all this stuff but like i didn't really get to skate vert until i was 20 imagine if i could have started you know skating vert regularly when i was 14 like you know, you look at someone like Sky Brown, who's in the Olympics at 13. It's it, she's got epic terrain to skate, and and same thing with you know all the other uh, Olympic skateboarders and and um, all the uh, a lot of skaters just in general. Like, I feel like this part of the country, this part of Pennsylvania, is is way behind in terms of providing skateboard terrain for our communities the interest is there and you know i think the thing that you see in other places and that you especially have seen because you've done so much traveling is how communities benefit when they put these parks in these are always some of the busiest skate spaces and there's always a community there there are always people using them for sure you know yeah like there's there's dozens of baseball fields all around where, where I live in Havertown. And, like, they're real busy, you know, in spring and summer, right? They, they, I'll give them that. Like, they're, they're well utilized. Um, but they're pretty much dormant 
from like you know September through let's say March whereas like the Mary place that crummy little skate park there's kids there all year every day and and when the lights are on when the lights stay on till 10 there's people skating till 10 like it, it, it's a really positive thing and and there is demand for it there you know um and we've seen that obviously like in, in the in the events that we have like yeah, our parents parents want want their kids to have some place to skate and even this past week um you know we're at dining under the stars in media and families are coming up and asking you know we're just there trying to get skate parks built and they're asking where where can i take my kid to skate where can i take my kid to learn more about how to do it you mm-hmm. know the interest is is really really there yeah for sure for sure so and, yeah our kids deserve it they do. Our county does too, and I, like we're always saying, we deserve more than one. <laughs> one well, thing, <laughs> I, and that's the thing. I would love for even if for for every five baseball diamonds there were at the skate park, and and you know if a basketball court is gonna have rims and nets, like we need something big. There should be something. There with should be vert. something big. Are you skateboarding today? Are you still out there? Yeah, I skateboard as much as I possibly can. I um. You know, unfortunately, I have some health issues. I have uh, arthritis in my hip, so I'm going to need a, a hip replacement. And, and that was aggravated by um, wrecking my ankle last summer. A lot of the times I've gotten hurt, almost every time, it's been like very early in the session because I'm either like just over amped and just super revved up to skate. Um, and also, I'm like showing off. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> And, you know, those those types of things that happen to us, even, you know, in our 40s, we're still learning about ourselves and kind of teaching us some lessons that yeah. that's kind of like, all right, <laughs> crap, you know. Don't be a hot dog. But <laughs> <laughs> right. a little more humble with it. When we talk about kind of the mission of the Delco Skate Park Coalition and, and we're looking yeah. at, at building skate parks but also ADA accessible all wheels inclusive skate parks what do you think about like you know you've been doing this a long time you're a veteran skater getting out there and sharing a skate park with somebody who's in a wheelchair I I think you know listen I, I I've seen a um, very small number of like pictures and magazines of of people in wheelchairs using skate parks but when you talk about the whole ADA accessible thing and the inclusive the inclusivity of skate parks, there's a lot of young people with disabilities that you can't see. And I think a lot of those kids, are, are there's a way larger number of those kids that will greatly benefit from skate parks. And in some cases, it, it, it could save their lives. You know, like I'm talking about at-risk kids, you know, and, and I, I think... Um, the the better the terrain the more responsible adults and older skaters you're going to have using that terrain which then become positive role models for kids who may or may not be at risk that that's where I really see the whole ADA accessible aspect of skate parks like it's not just kids who may be on alternative wheels although I welcome them too but but it might be kids who have other um, 
disabilities or diagnoses where they can really benefit from skate parks. You bring up such a good point in terms of the disabilities that we can't see. And, you know, for a lot of those kids, those might be disabilities that impact their learning, but, you know, impact their ability to do like some of those more traditional team sports. And you can show up to a skate park if you're that kid and you can get your board and you can just get out what, there. What I say earlier, nobody likes you. That's why we like you. <laughs> you know, like that, that's the, one of the greatest things about skateboarding. Like the kid who none of the teachers like, you know, doesn't do well at school. For whatever reason, they often find a skateboard and, and you know, so glad that they do. Like now, now, like if they have a place to go skate where there's going to be some older people like myself that are going to call them out but you also keep your behavior in check but also be a positive influence and a supportive influence like yeah i'm going to call them out if they're being a, a goon but i'm also going to cheer for them you know when they drop in for the first time the one thing that i i definitely um wanted to give you a chance to talk about because this is so totally cool and, and like a lot of people don't know this, is that there is a coffee table book for FDR. And it's this gorgeous book, it's hardback, it's got beautiful pictures, the photography is amazing. And the person on the cover of that book is you. <laughs> so like, how yeah, does that happen? How do we unpack that? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think um, uh, it's, it's, it's wild. I don't know, I don't know it was never explained to me why uh, they chose that photo of me. I know Phil Jackson took the photo. And, Tell me a little bit and, about this photo too. Like, um, okay, like where so are you? It's a cool photo because you can see I ninety five. You know, like the composition of the photo is really cool, and 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 um, you can see that the park is under the highway, and I happen to be doing a sweeper on the hip. Um, in the revolution pocket and um, yeah a filthy Phil asked me to shoot that photo and and I was honored but f I, I still remember the phone call from Scott Kimmick and, and he was like yeah you, you got the cover you're the cover man I was like what <laughs> I like to this day I'm still just blown away like and and it's one of the greatest honors of my life you know for sure I was just super psyched on the book I, I, you know this guy Nick Orso got the the publishing deal for it and I think um, the whole idea was like proceeds from the book we're going to feed into the park I, I you know I wasn't closely enough involved to know how the how the how the funds worked for all that but um, I was just super psyched to have I got that photo and some other photos in there. My dog Wasatch has a full page in there, which I was psyched on. And um, Wasatch, who did the road trip with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there's just a lot of photos of my friends in there. You know, Steve Foss, Adam Young, Andrew Clark, Grant. Like, you know, a lot of people, just Adam Benson and tons of people have, have really cool photos in there. Um, it's a cool book. Yeah. And what an honor to be to be on the cover of that book, definitely. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. I don't take it lightly. I'm, I'm humbled. That's cool. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to share your history with us because there's a lot here. I feel like we could have a second podcast episode yeah, just to well, talk about all for, those. <laughs> thanks for listening to me run my mouth all this time. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered and honored to be a part of it and um, 
especially if this can help with our mission of getting more concrete skate parks built, then, you know, I'm all for it. More concrete skate parks. We need them. Joey P., thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Aaron, the Delco Terry Gross. (laughs) I'll take it. If you want to find out more about the mission of the Delco Skate Park Coalition, or if you'd like to be a part of our podcast, go to www.skatedelco.org. And thanks for listening.